1: Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Monday. Today, we're going to talk all about USC Trojan football. Of course, like we always do, spring football starts tomorrow, Tuesday, March 6th. We're going to talk to Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist, all about it. Lots of breaking news to get to. Sort of a, US, a news dump, you could say, on this Monday before spring practice. we got roster updates, scholarship chart stuff. Uh, new coach uh, has been announced, So we're going to talk about all of that with Dan Weber coming up in a few minutes. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or send us a voicemail or a text at 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. We do love to hear from you, uh, all of your voicemails. We're going to play those today. we got some voicemails, texts, uh, emails. We'll play all that today in a couple of minutes, but I just want to thank Before we jump into it, our sponsor, newest sponsor, 4HIMS. Did you know 66% of men start losing their hair by the age of 35? When you start to notice hair loss, it's too late. 4HIMS.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss. You get medical-grade solutions, real doctors offering well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. These are not herbal supplements. They are prescription solutions backed by science, and they're shipped directly to your door. So you can order now. My listeners get a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just $5 right now while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds. If you went to the doctor or a pharmacy, go to fourhimscom slash USC. That's four 4hims, H I M S. Dot com slash USC for slash USC. So go check it out. And if you, if you try it, please drop me an email let you know let me know how you like it all right and as promised we have Dan Weber beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com on the line and we got to do some breaking news Dan some crazy stuff yeah? a news dump in the last you know last minutes before uh, USC spring football we find out about a new running back coach and they released the roster and there are eight people by my count eight people that were eligible that are no longer on the roster.
0: Yeah, I w- that happens to be the exact. Uh, I, I, I'm looking at the uh, media guide, uh, the download here, and I'm looking and I'm thinking uh, th- that's the first section you want to go to are the guys that are missing, and you realize, whoa, there are uh, there are people missing, and you know you knew some of them were going to be missing. But you didn't maybe know everybody that was going to be missing, and uh, you know we had known Roy Hemsley was going to be gone, and we knew that uh, both Jalen Green and um, uh, Elijah and Tucker uh, certainly had it in their plans to graduate, and they had it in their plans uh, probably not to be part of this, but this program. But uh, again they still haven't announced that they're just listed on the, on the chart as, uh, as uh, people that they've lost, uh, you know, when they, when they start spring, these are people who won't be back, Uh, but you're right. You know, the number gets up to eight pretty quickly. And then you realize Nathan Smith has has got a medical retirement and uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of all the,
1: all the other, I got a list here. So we'll do, I'll just go through them real quick. Um, So Cole Smith, uh, he had tweeted out a couple weeks ago, I think he was, he was going to retire. Um, Roy- I just think
0: about that. Both two offensive linemen in the same class with the name Smith <laughs> have medical retirements the same spring. I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's like Twilight Zone, kind of weird when you think about it. Yeah,
1: so those two. And then also uh, Roy Hemsley, um, he announced this past week uh, he was going to be a grad transfer to ASU. He didn't tra- he didn't announce grad transfer. He just said transferring. But we are according to our sources, it was gonna he was gonna graduate uh this semester, so he'll be a grad transfer. He'd have two years to play to. Um we Grant Moore was a linebacker with one year of eligibility remaining. Uh, we talked to our sources he had graduated and he's moving and on. He and to- he
0: was a walk on he was a walk on who earned a scholarship. Yeah. And normally those are uh scholarship till you graduate. And normally those are for your, you know, your last year. Yeah. So, uh, so that made a, that one made a lot of sense. I think he could really figure that one out. But, yeah. Uh, and he's going to be but, uh,
1: working in real estate now. So he graduated. He could have come back for one more year, but he did not. You mentioned Jalen green. Um, and I think Joey Kaufman, or the orange County Register, talked to his high school coach and said he was going to be a grad transfer. Um, uh, didn't say where, um, Elijah one Tucker, you'd mentioned, uh, Jamil cook is another one, uh, cornerback. So just. We had heard. I mean, you know,
0: we know he's work. We know he's in school. Yeah, and we know he's working out. I mean, the video with uh, uh you know, on Marshall was pretty impressive. Uh, but uh, what we're hearing is probably go junior college route next year, and then um, and then transfer somewhere else the following year is, is what it sounds like for Jamel.
1: And then the other one is uh, Joseph Lewis, uh, who of course had the the legal issues. I got a. Voicemail question. I'm going to play that for you in a second. But with coming out of signing day, we had the scholarship chart. Uh, If you go to uscfootball.com, up top there's like three dots. Go to the scholarship distribution chart. We had the total at 90 players because those were the people with eligibility remaining. We thought you know, there certainly had to be some attrition, at least five. We now know of eight um, that are no longer on the roster. So that brings the count down to 82. So they're well under the 85 limit now. So no issues there. Uh, Going forward.
0: And the amazing thing, I think maybe the most amazing thing is all of the scholarship special teams guys (laughs) are coming back.
1: Yeah. That's kind of crazy because you would think at least one or two of them. Two
0: punters, two place kickers, they're all back. Uh, No changes there. See, I would have, if you'd have asked me to handicap it, I'd have said that would have been the first place to start maybe uh, for some attrition. So, You know, what do we know? Uh, But, yeah, all the special teams guys are on scholarship or back. Not that there Uh couldn't be
1: more attrition. There certainly could be. But at this point, those are the eight that we know of. And that's what we've been waiting for. And we kind of feel like this is why USC waited this long to release the roster. I don't remember them ever releasing a roster the day before spring football. Um, Because, I mean, people are trying to do their previews and stuff. And if you're a newspaper person that doesn't do this all the time, you kind of need that spring prospectus to to do to do a lot of the stuff. So, well, it,
0: even if you are, I mean, I, I I took a number of educated guesses. Basically, you could not find out who, for sure, was what you know, and you had to put if uh, you know if coming or if not coming or whatever. I mean, basically, you were you were guessing, and, and I I talked to them about it, and they uh, they weren't going to release it until. The Monday, you know, afternoon before uh, the start of practice on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, I sent a few texts like to see what time they were going to release it, and i was getting like afternoon. I'm like, really? Like, you're not even going to release this in the morning or anything? (laughs) Like, okay. Uh, Well, we mentioned. Well,
0: they had to release the uh, new coach in the morning. Yes. that was kind of in the morning. Uh, So uh, yeah, and so and of course, you know, we we both. I think GM got it uh, Friday night. I got it Saturday morning, and talking to USC uh, Saturday night at the game uh, at the UCLA uh, basketball game, it was, uh, well, there's nothing signed. There's nothing official, nothing. Well, I mean, come on. When you know everything that had to happen happened, uh, it was as official as it could possibly, possibly have been. And they just did not want to, you would have thought, heck, uh, you know, if I'm at USC right now, I might want to introduce the guy at halftime or something, you know? There's our newest coach from the University of Michigan or whatever. But that's really not the way they're going right now.
1: No. Well, we'll talk about um, Tim Draven in a minute, but I wanted to, since we were talking about the roster, we did have a question on Joseph Lewis. Um, he was suspended. What we know is he was suspended from all team activities. Um, he was not on the roster, so the assumption is he's not going to be on the team. But I'm going to play you this voicemail question, we'll talk about Joseph Lewis a little bit.
0: J.D. from D.C. Uh, with two questions for Dan this week. Dan, is Joseph Lewis still attending classes or has he just been suspended from the football team? Uh, and second, are you aware of any major college football program that is heading into spring practice in a week that does not have a full complement of assistant coaches? Just asking. Um uh, JD, that's a good I, 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 the one, we think he is definitely still attending class. There would just be no reason, I mean, I know there are some issues when these kinds of things happen if uh, there are uh, people involved in the case that are in the same classroom where they'll say uh, there has to be separation or you have to stay, you know, away from the person or whatever and we do believe they're both USC students so uh i guess that could be an issue to some extent we don't know all those details but uh uh they list uh uh, uh joseph as um boom, boom boom how what is the exact title of the of the little graph squad men lost uh 28 and so they have all the 28 uh, you know of guys who were on the team this year who will not be who who are not here now and he's listed as a lost squad man uh so uh as far as the uh, uh assistant coaches i think if you're not one of the later spring uh, uh practice teams i think it can go fairly late and i think You know, one of the things we were thinking about, if it was going to be somebody else, is they're still possibly negotiating, uh, their contract buyout, uh, if their previous school, and maybe if that hasn't been completely worked out, you don't have, uh, the ability to get them in maybe quite as soon as you'd like. And so there can be other, you know, factors involved that you don't have control of. If the guy you really want has still got to do some things, Uh, jump through some hoops and things like that before the the buyout is settled i mean you know it's obvious you might be able to say well i don't have another job and you know you get a, a different buyout than let's say if they know for sure you've got another job they maybe uh would negotiate a little bit tougher with you and all that kind of thing so uh and you know just the kinds of expenses that you know y- you might get or you might not get, and they know you're going somewhere else, and they're going to move you and do all the other stuff. Uh, uh, it puts you maybe in a, a less favorable negotiating position. So I'm not, and I think uh, Keeley uh, checked last year when exactly they brought the land McCull- McCullough in, and I think it was it was just a few days before uh, spring practice. It, w- it wasn't much lead time at all. Uh, so so I don't know that that's that's a big
1: issue, JD. Yeah, that was, it was March 3rd last year. So a few days before spring football, but there was like a week or two before that we heard the name and we like Tim Drevno. We didn't really hear till Friday night. And then I think uh, we broke it Saturday morning, like Dan said. Um, it was post war room kind of thing. And then I think we might have mentioned it in the war room or p- possibility, but that's the other breaking news. Uh, Tim Drevno, he's uh, now back. He's going to coach running backs and be in charge of the run game and pass protection coordinator, uh, which is kind of an interesting title. I haven't heard that one. Um, yeah. We had three or four que- questions already, Dan. So I was going to read these questions for you and then kind of get your thoughts on Tim Drevno. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. So bear with me for a second. I want to get people's thoughts in there. I think there's a lot of good points, so I'll, I'll read them off. This is from Troy. Please explain how Tim Drevno is a good hire. He is an offensive line coach. Uh, coaching running backs, he's not coaching the offensive line and not coordinating the offense. If he gives too much input to the offensive coordinator or the offensive line coach, he will ruffle feathers. Uh, how will he individually get the backs better like the last guy did? I mean, the guy hasn't coached running backs in 20 years. So that's from Troy. Dustin, a little bit different take. Uh, Drevdo being hired as a running back coach threw me for a loop because he obviously isn't a running back coach. But the, that being said, I like it for the reasons I'm about to give you. While I'd love to have hired a coach who's been working with backs for the last 20 years, at least it's a position where it's easier for players to get by on raw talent. I think we saw Adila McCullough really have a positive impact on his ball security drills because he hasn't spent the last 20 years coming up with his own drills for backs. Maybe he'll be more willing to adopt some of the things that DMac instituted last season. And lastly, I don't think Drevno takes a job if Clay doesn't make it clear to him that he's going to let him have his say shaping the offense, giving how the offense has been. The last couple of seasons, I would think that giving Drevno a seat at the table would be fantastic from a philosophical standpoint. Um, If only because he's going to be advocating for more physical offense and a better running game. If we're going to have a lot of cooks in the kitchen with the offense, I like where we're adding a chef who isn't a quarterback. Am I close to being on to something? So that's Dustin. That's interesting. Then Jim B says, love the show. Do you think that part of the reason why they hired Tim Drevno was to send a message to Neil Callaway? that basically you'd better get your act together because we now already have your replacement on staff. Fight on from Jim. And then the last one is from Tom. The new running back coach seems to have extensive experience in different positions. He can be helpful to T and the offensive line coach. Do you think Hilton will use him for that, or will he be resented uh, by these coaches? Also, is he a good recruiter or just another body to add to the staff? Thanks, Fight on. Tom from the South Bay. So lots of takes there, yeah, Dan, all uh, over the place. Lots
0: of, uh, uh, I think I- I'm listening to most of those and saying, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, uh for just about all of that. Uh, yeah,
1: all interesting points, you know. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, all of those could be true. I-, I think one of the things that they got to work out. I do like he's got a nine-word title. Okay, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen. What is your job here? I am running backs coach last running game and pass protection coordinator. I do like it, though, that that tells me someone watched the Ohio State film and they realized what the problems are and that they do need a running game and a pass protection coordinator, neither of which they could do against Ohio State. Okay? So you gotta like that. Uh, As far as the running backs coach part of it, yeah, I thought that was an interesting point, and I actually kind of said that myself. Was maybe he will just keep Deland's drills, keep the water footballs and the spring-loaded footballs. Uh, but the other part of it that Deland did so well was he he set up the you know the the turned over garbage cans that basically uh, allowed him to set up the different you know the second and third levels and where the cuts had to be and he got him to make the cuts and got him to visualize where those cuts were gonna be. And I think him being a running back himself really helped um uh him do that. That would be for example, I, I always thought I was a high school baseball coach. I was a catcher my whole life and you know, when softball played third uh but uh and maybe some first. But I always thought if you ask me to try to show, and I, I kind of know baseball pretty well. but If you guys said, teach that guy how to play center field. I'm not, not even the least bit going to be able to, you know, you've played ball all your life. I'm not going to be able to tell you how to play center field. I'm re- it's just so different, such a different way. And if you are got taking a guy who, and he has, you know, Tim has coached some you know, uh, running backs. Uh, a good while ago, um, but uh, that's a different. Just seeing it and visualizing it, that's such a different set of skills than what you're doing at the offensive line. Now, if it helps integrate the run game at the point of attack with the run game with the running backs, that's a great thing. Because as good a job as DeLand did last year, he obviously didn't necessarily have the final say in terms of of how they were going to line up what kind of personnel uh are they going to have any real uh quarterback uh threat on the option uh all of that kind of stuff which you know at the point of attack very often they were outnumbered uh by the defense uh, the offense was so if they can get that squared away that's a real plus um, whether you know whether the running backs picked up enough up last year from, uh, you know, Deland's, uh, uh, drills to, to be able to kind of get them through this year. I mean, I always thought whoever comes in after him is really going to have a big job t- to do to win those kids over and to get their confidence and all the things that, uh, you know, Deland did. I mean, you, you, again, you can't do a better job, uh, than he did last year. I mean, it's just, it's not possible. So, uh, so I I don't know that we're going to actually see and you know, do they think about bringing in a grad assistant who is um uh, uh a recent say running back uh that has all that kind of you know muscle memory and, and 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 ability to look at the game as a running back uh maybe you think about it the other area I think is that it's going to be an issue is with Drevno having more seniority or more authority in terms of the play calling and the design and all that, does that slow things down even more? Um, I don't know. I mean, here's a guy; he was a million dollar coordinator of all, in the offense at Michigan. Is he going to be, you know, making suggestions? How is that going to work? And I don't, I don't mind if he's the running back, the running game coordinator. In terms of this is how we're going to do it. How does that work with your offensive coordinator? I really don't know. I don't think we knew exactly how it all worked last year. And, I mean, you know, you you have a feeling, well, we'll know when we see it. And we'll know when we think we understand how it's exactly working. We know it didn't work. We know all the things that didn't work last year. The play calling uh, uh, looked like it was too slow, looked like it, it did not help the rhythm. Uh, It looked like it was uncertain. Uh, The red zone play calling, the short yardage play calling certainly didn't look like it, you know, had the answers. Um, And then, uh, you know, you add uh, a stronger uh, run game person uh, to that mix. So basically there wasn't really a run game person in the mix. You had Tyson Helton and, and, and T and clay three quarterbacks, uh, Uh, it didn't ever sound because when you ask Coach Callaway some questions about why you do this or why did you do that, he would say, That's a clay question. That's not my, my, that's (laughs) not for me to answer. And, um, how we're going to get that answer and how it's going to work. I mean, does this give Callaway some help? Uh, I don't, I, I, again, I'm going to be really interested to see how this works. You know, just in the spring, in terms of how they go after things and how physical, how physical they get, and how they incorporate that into everyday's practice. And, and I'm, I'm convinced. You know, was just a high school, high school line coach, but uh, I just think it's hard to get better day after day. It's hard to compete for somebody's spot if you're an offensive lineman and, and you're out there in shorts. I just don't see that. That you can do the things you have to do to get better and to compete for spots. Uh, if you're in shorts, I- I'm just sorry. I-, I don't. I mean, to be honest, I don't know that I'd practice them in shorts ever. I mean, I don't th- I mean you. You go full contact? Ever. No, you may not. Uh, may not go full contact at all. But just the ability to maybe do five or ten minutes worth. And, and you know, I know people get on us from going back to the P.K.L whatever you know era but uh they went quick periods very quick period the practices were shorter than today but uh, they did seem to have the ability to go the ones against ones and really compete and um defensive linemen helped get offensive linemen ready and i just don't see them being able to do that in shorts uh, that's just a big Uh, a big no-no for me. And when you see Ohio State come into the cotton ball and go two full, you know, two hour full pads practices and USC does one walkthrough in shorts in the same two days uh, to start, you just think this isn't right. This is not uh, getting USC better. So I think Trevno's got a chance. Uh, Michigan could run the ball. They had, you know, horrible quarterbacking the last couple of years, but they could run the ball. and, that's something considering you knew they couldn't throw the ball. So give him credit for that. Uh and um you know and say let's you know, let's you get as much as you can out of this and uh and we'll go go from there. But uh I mean I think on balance you have to say it's a plus higher and Clay thinks you know, Clay believes it's a steal. I don't know if that means Michigan is still paying a lot of uh a lot of Drevna's contract or all of it. I don't know. Uh, But uh, that's probably not a bad thing either. Uh, You know, but he was one of four Michigan assistants making a million dollars a year or more. Nice. Uh, So uh, it's it's kind of a different world. uh, And they're never going to beat Ohio State. They're never going to be able to recruit with Ohio State. And they're never going to be able to, do the kind of recruiting Ohio state does. And Michigan is probably lives in kind of a dream world. They've got the big stadium and the, you know, great uniforms and the great fight song. And they won more games than anybody in college football history, but they're not going to beat Ohio state. And they're kidding themselves. You can go visit the Pope for spring practice and all that. And ain't going to help you. You, yeah. you got to be able to get, you know, you got to be able to get better players than they get. And I, I don't see that happening. So, so I, I don't think it's a bad thing to get somebody from Michigan and uh, they had to do something because they're not uh they don't have the players that uh that they need to win.
1: What about the so some people make points about okay, this is basically putting Neil Callaway on notice and then, you know, some people have compared it to if you remember later in the Lane Kiffin era where uh offensive line coach James Craig was under a lot of pressure and we felt that there was pressure from the administration for Lane Kiffin to let him go, and he kind of stubbornly did not, but brought in a second offensive line coach in right. Mike Summers. Yeah. If there's like a similar like feel to this, than that.
0: Yeah, I think that you have some of that feel. I mean, I, uh, I think a sincere sense of, this is making us better. This guy really gets the run game. Uh, we know what happened in the Ohio State game, and we have to get better. And so you know, if we're uh spending a little more time uh, you know, by bringing in another offensive line coach, uh, you know, how that how that working relationship with uh with Coach Callaway goes, I don't know. Um, you know, we know that uh uh when they uh, uh, when, when when Coach Orgeron brought in uh, oh gosh, uh Pete the uh, uh, the defensive line specialist who just. Pete Jenkins? Just re- yeah, and brought him in. And then uh, USC brought him back to work with uh, Kenichi, who was going into his first year as a you know, real full time assistant. And that didn't go over so well, apparently. Kenichi is, you know, oh, this is my job and I got it, you know, and, and Pete is like the easiest guy in the world to work with. And I think it took a long time to make that kind of work, There's two. And uh, some of it was, you know, it was hard for, uh, you know, Kenichi to have somebody there like that. I don't know how this is going to work with Callaway. I mean, let's face it. Callaway, I still think this is true, has more Southeastern Conference championship rings than anybody living. That's the word because he's got 10 of them as a player for Bear Bryant and as an offensive coordinator and offensive line coach at Auburn, Georgia, and Alabama. I mean, this isn't some guy, you know, I know it's easy for people to, you know, oh, he came from Western Kentucky. This isn't just a guy from Western Kentucky. I mean, this is a guy who has been to a, a lot of good places where they've done a lot of good things. And it's not like, he doesn't come in, you know, without – I mean, he was a head coach at University of Alabama, Birmingham. Uh, this is not, you know, just some, you know, run-of-the-mill assistant coach. So, I don't I don't think we know how that's going to work. I don't think we know at all. We really don't.
1: All right. So, that's uh, kind of the breaking news stuff. I wanted to jump in, uh, get to some of these questions. But before we do, I want to tell you about – this has been uh, a really cool sponsorship for us, Lisa Bed's. Uh, I love this company the more I read about them and stuff. Uh, they're an innovative direct to consumer online mattress brand that's also socially conscious. I love doing volunteer work. Uh, I'd like to do more, I should do more, but they 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 do that as part of their mission statement. It's a better place to sleep for everybody, so they'll donate a mattress to a shelter for every ten they sell through their one in ten program, and they also have all their employees donate one percent of their time to volunteer for local causes, so it's pretty cool. But the really neat part is when you get this you order a bed, it's just like ordering something online, and it comes to your door in a, in a box that doesn't look like it would have a mattress in it. And when you open it up, it's folded in half, and it's it's almost like it's freeze-dried. It's just compacted in there, uh, compressed, and then it opens up, and uh, and then it becomes a full mattress. So we I have a queen, and I've really started – well, I started to sleep on it more recently. I changed the bed up a little bit. It was sitting on a box ring before. These are really – these foam mattresses are meant to be on a completely flat – platform so that, that Lisa has a foundation that they'll sell. Um, so I started sleeping on the foundation recently and it made a lot of difference. So it, it's just a really great feel and you can try it for a hundred nights risk-free. It's always free shipping. So definitely go check it out. Um, so Lisa.com there. Go- you go to Lisa.com slash USC, dot com slash USC. You'll get a hundred dollars off the mattress for using, for listening to the show, the promo code USC, Lisa.com slash USC. Definitely try it out and email me and let you know, uh, me putting on a foundation recently has made a, a world of difference. So, uh, it's a really cool bed to sleep on. So, I have to check it out. Dan, we're gonna have to get you one, man. We're gonna have to ch- try it. Yeah, this out. it sounds
0: cool. I, I, I'm really intrigued by it. I see them advertised, and I uh, you see the carton that comes in and all that, and it looks like well, wow, it looks so interesting. It <laughs> sure, looks like a better way to do it than the uh, the old way.
1: Yeah, like this, especially the box, the box springs. Box you don't have to have it like, all that. so you get rid of the yeah. box spring and you can put it on a foundation that's higher and you get more storage under the bed and everything. So it's pretty cool. All right. Well, let's jump in. We have i uh, I'm going to play this voicemail question for you. Dan, here we go.
0: Curtis from Moreno Valley. This is for everybody. Uh, thanks for having Chris Hawkins on. That was a great idea and asked him some nice questions. Now we know that. Coach Helton lets the, uh, the players tell him how hard they want to go at practice. He doesn't, he doesn't decide not to hit or to go soft or whatever the case may be. He actually asks them how they want to practice and they tell him if they want to, how hard they want to go at practice. So, uh, it, what do you guys think about that? very interesting Uh, um, yeah Curtis I think you make a really good point I got a little nervous this year when talking to some of the players because I really started getting on this uh, they're not going hard enough uh, they're not giving them enough chance at every practice to go hard Uh, again it doesn't mean you go two hours of full pads take them to the ground practice but you have the ability to do that for quick short bursts, and you really compete when one's against one. And you would hear guys say, "Oh yeah," and when it got close to November, they'd show up on Tuesdays hoping not to see pads in their lockers. And that to me was a really bad sign. I, I don't, I, I don't think you want your players thinking, "Boy, will they, will they start no pads November a week early? Uh, can we, you know, what?" No, you don't want them thinking those thoughts. You know, I mean, you, you want them thinking like Ohio State was thinking coming to Dallas when they said, you're going two hours in full pads on a day one before we go to the hotel. And then you're going two, two hours full pads the next day. That's what football is. Uh, again, watching Ohio State. I mean, I really was, was impacted watching Ohio State's D line drills right next to where we were standing at the end zone and thinking they're working harder these 7 or 8 minutes than I think I saw USC working you know most of December. Uh that was that you know that's an eye opener. And again, there're only a few teams that have that kind of personnel, that kind of talent, that kind of physical ability. Uh but when you see that, you realize USC is not there. I mean, we're here now NFL teams are are hitting more and deciding that, you know, it's football. It's got to be comparable. Again, you're not taking guys to the ground, tackling them and all that. But you got to, you know, it, it's not basketball. And it's not basketball and shoulder pads and helmets. It's football. And uh, uh, so that, that disturbs me. I, I, I And it doesn't surprise me even a little bit that the players uh, are vocal. These are players, and this is not their fault. And these are coaches that maybe it's not totally their fault. They came through. The, you know, the era when USC would have 43 originally recruited scholarship players available for a game like the, you know, when they upset Stanford in 2012 with Coach Orgeron and they played 12 guys on defense. That was a whole different world. And that was, you know, I still remember when Lane figured out, he said, we got to do it like, you know, the NFL and we got, you know, about the same numbers as the NFL, and we're going to have to do it that way. And they might have had to do it that way for a while. Uh, But they don't have to do it that way now. And I don't think it's doing them any favors. It obviously isn't when you watch the, uh, you know, uh, Notre Dame game, the Ohio State game. Uh, They just didn't have the firepower. I mean, they didn't have the firepower to slug it out with Texas and Utah, for example. Uh, You got, obviously, you know, you had Sam, uh, do some things or, you know, you got better players, but, um, yeah, that's a uh, Curtis. That's a, that's not a good thing. Uh, coaches should coach. You listen to them, pay attention to them, but boy, you don't want them ever thinking that they have some control over whether you go and pay us or not. I mean, I mean, they'll tell us, for example, oh, that we're going to practice on this time or at this day. And they said, but don't tell the players, And we don't want them to know. And yet (laughs) they're asking them, do you want to practice in pads or not? No, you don't ask them that. Yeah. I'm sorry. You just can't. uh. You think Urban Meyer got on the bus when they landed in Dallas and said, what do you want to do, guys? They got a big celebration for us at the hotel. Or do you want to go have a two-hour practice? (laughs) Think he asked that question?
1: Probably I'm not.
0: not. And if he did, <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered what their answer would have been. They were going to go practice.
1: <laughs> and if oh, you know not Curtis, Curtis was referring to, I did an interview with Chris Hawkins last week, so you can check that out on com. But it was sort of like an exit interview. Chris got snubbed from the uh, NFL Combine, so he'll be practicing at the Pro Day, or participating in the Pro Day on March 21st.
0: Yeah, big, big, uh, big Pro Day. Uh, <laughs> the way the USC guys, uh, uh, handle the uh, Combine, you're going to get to, see, well, you guys won't get to see it because the NCAA said you can't go because uh, the Reggie Bush Pro Day got them all scared and so they uh, <laughs> forbade the public from coming. But if you could go there on, uh, and maybe you can look through the fence at you know Cromwell Field or Loker Stadium, uh, you would get to see Sam throwing the ball and you would get to see Deontay doing what he does that he didn't do in Indianapolis and that'll give <laughs> Sam a, uh, friendly, familiar, uh, receiver. And, uh, so, and Ronald, hopefully, I don't know if Ronald's got enough time to come back from whatever he did that, you know, kept him from doing the rest of Pro Day. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, Pro Day is going to be jam packed with, uh, with all kinds of interesting stuff, uh, with, uh, you know, with all that's hanging over the USC guys heading to the NFL.
1: All right. Well, let's move on. We got a bunch more email questions and some texts. Uh, Jimmy in East LA. Uh, I don't know if he, were you were born in East LA, Jimmy. Oh, that's an old reference. Um, <laughs> this question, <laughs> questions for Dan Weber. Dan, in your opinion, what do you, what, what do Trayvon Sidney and Vellis Jones have to work on this offseason to earn decent playing time this year? Do you envision them gaining some more targets based on their talent and skills? I know, you know, Trayvon.
0: He's, he's kind of a smallish kid by far, the, the, you know, the trick catch guy, you know, there's nobody in the clubhouse even close. He's just, he can make any kind of catch doing, you know, one hand, you know, behind about you know, you name it, he can do it. Uh, I think he's pretty close, I mean, you know, for his size and, and speed and all that. I mean, I think this is where I'd like to see USC run more plays. I'd like to see them run, you know, instead of slowing the game down, I would like to see him you know, get to that 80 plays minimum a game and get as many guys on the field as, as they can because when you got more players than the other team, you ought to try to run more plays. Uh, but I think Trevon is, has gotten to where I think he's he's ready to go. As far as Velas, uh, you don't know that you can get fast enough to get deep, 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 uh, I think Aviles has to work on all the other little subtle things that, that wide receivers have to do. Uh, I mean, he I think he got the most out of his ability as a kickoff return man because he kind of looks like uh, at times he's looking for a place to fall. Uh, and he kind of gets out ahead of his skis, I guess you might say, and he gets a little bit overextended. And uh, at the first touch, he's down where you'd like to see him be able to run more, uh, you know, as fast as he's running, but still run more upright and under control so that when he has to, you know, run through that first guy that gets a hand on him or whatever, he doesn't go down. Um, that, that's kind of what I'd like to see with Villas, uh, that he just work on, you know, staying upright and, uh, you know, doing it full speed and running through contact uh, would be, you know, the thing I, you know, I think you know, we, we need to see from Vilas the same way, you know, that works on the, uh, you know, the wide receiver, uh, you know, reverses and stuff like that. I think the, that ability to run to first contact, and it would really be important for, for Villas.
1: Um, It's funny. If you want to bet on who's going to be more efficient, you got to go with Sidney because he gets in the game, he'll get one play and make a catch and Jones gets in and a whole bunch of plays or, or at least multiple plays and doesn't really do much. So when Sydney gets in there, he seems to be active and doing things, so he'd be the guy to watch. I would think of those two.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think the quarterbacks trust him. They think he'll catch the ball. I, don't, yeah. I, mean, I think he'll get open. He's got a lot of, you know, he got a lot of uh, savvy. Uh, so, yeah, I'd like to see him on the field. He's fun to watch. I think mean, he he gets he does stuff. Uh, and Vilas, I think, has to yeah uh, more productive. Uh, just got to you know when he's there, you know. Not just a decoy. I mean, I think they do use him as decoy because of his speed. And I think people will realize, okay, he's in there for, you know, the, you know, the deep ball. And they can use him to, you know, uh, pull the defense with him. And so they tend to do that with him. But, uh, yeah, I think he's got to earn some uh, where he gets the ball, too.
1: All right, let's move on. we got a question from Tarek. Do you have confidence Austin Jackson can be an elite left tackle?
0: I think he's he's an he's got the potential to be an elite athlete. I think he runs. He's got a you know they got the big frame. Uh, he runs easily. Uh, he looks like he moves easily. Uh, I was disappointed, and this isn't in Austin. I was just disappointed in the entire offensive line that I didn't get the sense that they were any better in December than they were, you know, in August or September, early September. I just didn't. I didn't see that. I mean, I would have liked to have seen, uh, the two freshmen, uh, you know, Ender and, and Austin Jackson really look like by the end of their freshman year that they were, you know, had a year of experience and I'm not sure I saw that. Uh, and I, I think it's the big challenge for this team is to take these guys and, and make them no longer look like they're, you know, they just got here. And, um, uh, uh I don't think we saw that last year. That was a disappointment, uh, that we just didn't see anybody in that second group push anybody in the first group. You know, the first group certainly didn't act like they were getting pushed by anybody. Um, I think again, that's a function of practice. And I think, you know, practice has to, um, uh, you know, be the kind of, you know, place where if you're not, you know, I love what Pete Carroll always said that he's got the starting lineup, uh, etched in sand, and you know it, it, you're as good as you play today, and um I don't think we've seen that and, I want, and you want to see it where the guys like Austin Jackson says, You know what? I can beat that guy out, and I'm going to do it I'm going to show him I'll, I'm going to beat him out uh I, I think we need to see that you need to see that kind of an attitude, that kind of a development about uh, about what's going on. It was the key element in peter's uh program success that sense of uh of competing every day and and just that sense of i'm going to out compete you and they did it on the practice field and they did it in games they just didn't they were they never looked comfortable and 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 you know that i think is is but they they looked like they felt like they were going to beat you because they practiced better, they prepared better, they prepared harder. They were never, you know, going to brag about, hey, we don't have the, we don't have any pads in the locker room today, or on our lockers today. I mean, I talked to Sean Cody, talked a lot about how he and, uh, uh, oh, let's see, whoever he worked against, uh, uh, Sam Baker, I guess, would have be been the most likely candidate to have worked against him almost all the time. And he talked about, you know, and you got two All-Americans, and you got Sam Baker, a three-time All-American, Sean, you know, a couple of times All-American, and how they worked against each other every single day, depending on who they played that week and how that guy was going to play them, and they made one another better. And, and I want to see that from this team where, you know, you got both, both sides of that, you know, offense and defensive lines making the other side better and being smart about watching film and saying, okay, I know this is what your guy's going to do to you. So I'll do that. I'll, I'll make you work against that all week. Um, I think that's just, that's invaluable. And we haven't seen it that kind of work as much. And, and that's, uh, that's a level of competition and maturity and, um, you know, just uh, toughness that, that you need to see. All
1: right. right, let's. Uh, Stephen Poway has an interesting one. He said, One thing that became essentially clear during the 2018 signing period is that we were really weren't that many seniors on the 2017 football roster. I think there were 13 total scholarship seniors. In other words, the 2017 Trojans were actually a pretty, quote-unquote, young team at least at the very top, with all the talk now about losing the top three ball handers on offense, Donald Jones and Burnett, and three key starters on defense, Green and Wusu and Hawkins, would you agree that the 2018 Trojans will actually be more mature and experienced on average, and this may more than compensate for the loss of these key starters? What do you think, Steve and Powell?
0: I, I think they have a chance to be – A different kind of maturity. I think it's got to all happen together, coaches and and players. Um, I mean, one of the things that will change that, though, uh, that equation is there really are some good young talent coming in here, offense and defense. I mean, how do you, you know, look at the offense without, you know, factoring in maybe JT Daniels, maybe Amon Ra? How do you look at the defense without – Factoring in some of those linebackers and, and, and secondary guys. Um, so you, you may have the presence of those guys, but the team in general, I mean, you look at the defense and you look at everybody back and you think, man, they could have as, uh, you know, as mature a defense as you could possibly hope for, even though you may be building around, um, and you got Port Augustine kind of a trade off. For Yachena uh, anyway, so leaving. Okay, so kind of a, uh, a, a trade-off. Different kinds of players, different kinds of skill set, but but kind of same maturity kind of a thing. Uh, now you're going to have all of those guys that were freshmen last year. You know, Mullen, Tuipulotu, and and Brandon Peely, and uh, Jay Toffoli, and they have to play like veterans. If they do, with the depth of the uh of the linebacker core and the depth and the size and the you know talent and all of that speed you name it of the secondary they just got to coach them up i mean they got to figure out how to get a ton of those guys on the field with the talent that they've got they got to make it simple enough that those guys can contribute and they're not going to get you know, have the busted plays that they're not going to give up 13 plays of 40 yards or more and uh, and get those guys on the field because they're going to have more of those guys than anybody they're playing. And, you know, you just, I mean, again, I don't think we saw that last year happening enough. Uh, did we see enough of Bubba Bolden and Levi Jones? I don't think so. Um, you know, I think we would have seen a lot of Marlon if he doesn't have a back problem. But uh, uh, I think there has to be a different approach this year uh, to getting, uh, you know, the talent on the field. And whether it's more mature or not more mature, they have to play uh, as if they're more, more mature. And, and, again, that starts tomorrow with, uh, with the way, uh, you know, the coaches approach things because I think they've got the building blocks to be pretty darn good.
1: We got Chris in Santa Barbara. He said, great show over the last 10 years. Thank you, Chris. I've been thinking about the recent comments from Dan and Coach regarding the lack of physicality in practice and its negative impact on games. Uh, my old coaches like Marv Goo, Ray George, and John McKay just wouldn't understand it. Could it be that we have some coaches, uh, Reed, head coach, that have been here long enough to remember how practices how practice hitting was minimalized to avoid injuries? when we were under sanctions and had fewer players, maybe a reboot of their thinking is in order. Your thoughts, Chris and Santa Barbara.
0: Yeah, Chris, I mean, this is the kind of, to some extent, the the problem we've got is <laughs> I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I have seen more really good college football practices than maybe some of the current USC coaches. Cause I got to see basically Except for the first year, every single USC football practice when Pete was here. So, and Pete didn't allow uh, other college coaches to watch him practice. So, you have that picture in your mind, and and you know we saw him, and you saw too when Pete's practices started slipping, when uh, they didn't, you know, have the right guys succeeding. Coaches who left, and that's always the biggest challenge in, in, in college football when you get something going is how do you replace assistants who are going to get opportunities to go. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, the combination of uh, the dealing with a, an NCAA limited uh, scholarship crew and having a, three straight quarterbacks as head coaches, uh, you know, you had Lane and you had um, uh, Sark and now Clay. And quarterbacks see the game differently. And, um, uh, I think that's not been a good thing necessarily. Three straight is not been, uh, because you see the game, you know, differently and it's more of a chess match and it's more basketball and grass and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I think Harbaugh probably is one of the quarterbacks who sees it as a, you know, a tough man game. Uh, unfortunately, he, he doesn't see it with good quarterbacks. So, uh, makes life a little more difficult for, you know, Jim when he doesn't have, uh, you know, Andrew Luck as his quarterback. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, Marv goo would probably have, if, if they had a coaches meeting now and they were talking about, um, you know, no pads, November, I'm not sure. It would be interesting to see what the expression on Marv Goo's face would be when you use the expression, no pay as November, when you like to be sitting in a meeting with John McKay and Marv goo and come up with, why don't we go for no pay as November and, see, <laughs> and see what ha- would happen to you in that meeting? Um, uh, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> there are a lot of, I mean, it's just, just saying no pay as November. Honestly, you wouldn't, if you, you know, just, you can't even imagine, um, uh, where that would be. And and basically that was USC's character. If you, you didn't know much about USC, you knew they had a bunch of big, tough guys who could run over you and knock you down. They had offensive linemen that looked differently. You know, they just didn't look the same as some of the, you know, thicker, maybe slower guys that you saw uh, in the South or in the Midwest. Uh, USC had these big athletic looking offensive linemen and they would, you know, run it, you know, they come at you and they would bust you and they had these running backs who could just absolutely, you know, just run over you and run it and run it and run it and and do things that nobody would ever done before. And, uh, um, you want to probably think that's USC's character. They're always going to be USC's character. They probably need to get back to that. And hopefully, you know, the Dresno Dres- hire and, uh, The Ohio State video. I mean, I can't even imagine if I was, you know, connected with, with USC in terms of the preparation for the cotton Bowl and then to see how it turned out. Uh, that would be very hard, hard to handle. And you would think there will be a reaction. And, um, and, and they've got to get a, they've got to be a, there's got to be a toughness, uh, that we haven't seen a mental toughness and a physical toughness. Let's face it. They've got more talent than they shouldn't lose in the Pac 12. They've got, when you look at, you know, the, um, uh, let's say the last five recruiting classes that you could say this team's made up of the last five recruiting classes. USC's third, I guess, overall, you know, Alabama and Ohio State in the whole country. And there's no other Pac 12 team that's in the top 10. And if you take five star recruits, USC has more five star recruits. Than the other eleven Pac-12 schools combined. I mean, it's it it should be one of those things where USC said, "Look, we expect to go to the Rose Bowl as they, you know, that was the with Pete. That's going to be our and 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 whatever happens after that, that's great. But uh, for USC to have to scramble, I mean, and, and sure the NCAA sanctions and all that made it really tough. But for USC not to win their first Pac-12 championship to the last last year is, is kind of crazy, and that shouldn't be the way. And I know the, the media guide for the, the spring football media guide has this unbelievably outsized Pac-12 championship trophy being you know, uh, brand, you know brandished about, and, and that's great, but uh, that really shouldn't be the thing that, that this team uses as a measuring stick to necessarily say, okay, this was progress. We got better. We won the PAC 12 championship. Uh, I, I don't think that's the case. That just has to be at an absolute minimum. It really does. It, it's that simple that so you, when you, for example, you look at this team and one of the keys for next year, it'd be Mar- Marlon to a Piloto, best player in Oregon by far last year, who is going to be a key for this year? Well, Taylor, you know, uh, Uh, yeah, Hafanga, and, uh, best player in Oregon this year. Uh, you know, one of the best athletes in the country. If you can recruit, if you can go into Arizona and Oregon and Utah and Washington and get their best players, how can they beat you? they can't, I mean, they, you know, USC can do something. Nobody else in the Pac-12 can do. And, uh, it's just that simple. And, uh, you gotta, I think, start from there. We're gonna be the biggest, toughest, you know, SOBs on the block, and we're gonna use that to get ready to, to whatever else we're gonna do. But we're not gonna make this out like, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, beating Utah, thanks to a, you know, a, a play at the end of a game, is a really big deal. No, it's not. You should beat Utah. You know, <laughs> I mean. That's
1: simple. Yeah. We got uh, we got a few more. Vegas Trojan. I was wondering, who is USC's strength coach, and how do you think he is doing? One thing I noticed in our losses to Alabama and Ohio State is how much more muscle those teams have than USC. USC has big bodies, but it doesn't look the same uh, as the dominating teams these days. The biceps and chest and lower bodies look different to me. Then the teams mentioned. Does USC really take weightlifting seriously? I'm not trying to be funny at all. Even Alabama skinny players were rocked up. Uh, I'm just saying, Dan Weber. That's a couple. I'm just saying,s uh, or just saying yeah. references today. That's Vegas Trojan. Uh,
0: it's almost not fair to compare them to Alabama, but you know, I mean, if you're going to win a national championship, you got to compare yourself to Alabama. Okay, they look different. You yeah, know, they look they look different from the people they play in the SEC. Uh, even without as many, maybe as much skill, say as, as necessarily Georgia had, uh, they still ended up beating them. And uh, say a Georgia looks a little more like USC, or an Oklahoma looks a little more like USC. Uh, Ohio State, you know, did not have necessarily great skill offensive people, but they did have um, uh, they did have you know the 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 um, um, the defensive athletes who did not look like the Bosa kid, 270 pounds. He looked like a full belt. He looked like 230. He was so cut and so, you know, proportioned and all that. I mean, you do see – now, you're picking out the best. I mean, those are the best. I mean, they do the best job. And uh, that would be good to go after him. And I don't want to – yes, he did it always differently. They did not try when they had uh, the really good teams. They weren't trying to look better than you. They just wanted to play better than you so they were more uh you know going for uh, uh core strength and ability to they I mean, and i re, i still remember chris uh, Carlisle talking about he went back to penn state and to do a uh, a weightlifting clinic and he said they had all these guys that could you know leg press a volkswagen and uh but he said they couldn't play football at that time this was before penn state uh, figured some things out uh but they had all these squatty body guys that you know they could really lift weights uh and that that's not necessarily the answer either you want them to be able to play football uh but this year USC was was pretty overwhelmed it looked like by that Notre Dame offensive line now they had two of the maybe best five offensive linemen in the country and they had a big strong you know running back and they just came right at them and USC was not in that game, and they certainly weren't in the Ohio State game in terms of the physical strength, uh, of the Ohio State defense against. Now, the Ohio State offensive line, I mean, they didn't do much against USC's defensive line. Uh, the USC defense, uh, held Ohio State to 277 yards, and, uh, uh did, you know, certainly didn't get pushed around. So, it wasn't necessarily like an entire team thing. But in specific ways, and some of that might have been, you know, if I'm USC and I look and I see, okay, this is kind of a mismatch, our offensive line against their defensive line, what do we do to counter that? I didn't get any sense that the USC offense figured out any ways to counter that. So they get down the field, they, you know, they go for 400 and some yards, 402 yards, and get down the field, get in the red zone, can't score, can't push it in because, at that point, Ohio State said, "We're not giving it to you. You're going to have to take it." And USC wasn't tough enough, strong enough, disciplined enough, and smart enough to be able, to, you know, to be able to take it. So I don't think it was all strength. I will say this: I think USC's team was pretty well conditioned. I thought they did a pretty good job, from what we could see last summer, of uh, connecting their conditioning to football-related, uh, you know, drills and, and things like that. So I thought their conditioning was good. I thought their offensive line strength did not look, uh, and an ability to be explosive. Uh, I thought that's the one place that, uh, they really fell down. I thought, uh, they just, and, and it just becomes so obvious, uh, when their defensive line, uh, whips the heck out of your offensive line. Uh, other than that, I'm not, I'm not sure I would, you know, make it a, a complete, their team is that much stronger than your team. But where it really mattered, they really were.
1: We uh, got one from Las Vegas. Marcellus uh, sent us a text. In each of the last four years, we've been fortunate to get elite production from our uh, interior defensive lineman. He said 2014, Leonard Williams. 2015, Antoine Woods. 2016, Stevie Tuikolovatu. 2017 Rasheem Green, do you see any inside defensive linemen reaching that level or having that impact in 2018, or will it take another year for the young guys to develop? As always, great show, fight on, Marcellus.
0: Yeah, Marcellus, I I mean, I think, you know, you got Christian Rector, who's kind of a a hybrid a little bit, a defensive end more, uh, but a hand down on, on the ground guy. But I think, you know, when you look at the inside, you got the three, uh, you know, Brandon Tilly, and, you know, he's 3'40", and, and 6'3", 6'4", who can, you know, kids gunk a basketball with one hand off a, you know, standing start. Uh, you got Marlon Tuipolotu, who, you know, the coaches love. He's got uh, everything about him, uh, uh, you know, 6'3", a little over 300 pounds, 305 maybe, uh, great center of gravity, low uh, pad level. Uh, you know, heavy rate, you know, very good heavyweight wrestler, uh, uh, who I think, you know, can really handle himself if, if, if his back, um, you know, comes back from all that, from the surgery. And then Jake Tafeli, who we did not get to see really, uh, maybe become the player, uh, that we thought he would, uh, you know, right away. And it's not that easy. He's probably more in the, uh, the model of the Rasheem Green type of player. But they're all, you know, 300 pounds or, are bigger. And, uh, so I think they've got the potential, that crew right there. I'm not sure what we're, what we're going to see with Jacob Lichtenstein. I think he's, uh, he got a really big body and, uh, had some, you know, uh, ability, I think, to put on some real good muscle. Uh, but, uh, but I think you build on those three uh those three guys uh and you've got a you've got a real chance. Uh so I think they've got a chance to be pretty fat uh up front next year. I think they they really do. And you you're right. USC's done a really good job of plugging uh plugging guys in uh year after year up there and uh and I thought they you know again they finished strong uh against Ohio State. Joshua too uh um, you know stood in there and regime and uh and they got the job done. They gotta, you know gotta we got to get everybody healthy. You got to get all three of those guys healthy, ready to go, and you got to push them. And I think they've all got a future play a long time in in football. Uh if they uh if they get to where it it certainly looks like they have the physical tools and the um the mental psychological makeup to be those kinds of, you know, that kind of player.
1: All right. Uh we got two more we'll get you out of here. Troy why does it seem this program is lethargic, constantly procrastinating, and is always running a at let's wait and see speed? Recruiting, they don't really start getting serious until mid-January when there was an early signing period. Player personnel, they wait until three to four games to play the best players. Hiring, they wait until the last minute to make hires or make lazy hires. Game performance, they never start fast, and if they do, they never finish anything. Hell, it even took almost 100 years to renovate the Coliseum, and even that is only a half fix. Does Helner USC have any sense of urgency whatsoever? That's from Troy. Wow, that's an interesting one.
0: You know, I think it, if you're USC, it's easy to not feel an urgency. You're in such a, you know, you've got a school that's just, you know, rolling now. You've You've just completed this. Six billion dollar, fund- I think they were pretty urgent about that six billion dollar fundraising campaign that they've extended for three more years and three more billion dollars in the high, you know, the biggest fundraising campaign in American higher education. But they showed a lot of, a lot of, you know, urgency there. But if you've been able to be successful, uh, kids want to come there, you know, students want to come there, you know, the academics are, are, are certainly moved in the right direction. Uh, Los Angeles has moved in the right direction. The Figaro Corridor has moved in the right direction. Um, You've got so much going for you that it's, it's easier maybe to not feel a desperation that there's an urgency. You have to get it done because usually, like last year, that was a team that played with almost no urgency at all, zero urgency. They still end up, you know, in 11 games, I mean, that's just, it's USC. I mean, and, you know, a lot of the games you know, weren't that obvious who was going to win right at the end. And then something happened and USC wins and everybody said, oh, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. So, yeah, uh, I think to this point, that would be the thing you would like to see you know, Clay helped and developed. that urgency, that sense that the kind of thing that separates Nick Saban and, uh, um, urban Meyer and, and Daba Swinney, those guys, um, uh, Tom Herman at Texas. We'll see how it works out, but there's an urgency there. We have to get this done. This is, there's a competitive sense of, you know, this is the most important thing in the world. You know, today's practice or this play or whatever. And we're not going to let that opportunity go. You only have so many of those. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, life is pretty good at USC. People get paid. You know, they may not get paid as much as some of the places, but they're not in Tuscaloosa, you know, I mean, and you know, life is pretty good. And, um, uh you'd like to see that sense of, uh, I think urgency is the absolute word. And, uh, and we don't see it uh, probably as much as as you'd like to see it, but um, but I think it's going to be the key in uh, in, in in Clay Helton uh, and his uh, his time at USC is is the ability to de- develop that sense of urgency, that sense of if you need to bump a player in uh, San Francisco's airport, and you have to send two coaches from Tuscaloosa to Hawaii and then bring them back through San Francisco. So they get there exactly at the moment that that guy happens to just be returning from his recruiting trip to, uh, Ann Arbor just to bump into him in the San Francisco airport. You do it. And you tell those two coaches, this is what you're going to be doing for this weekend. You're going to Hawaii. Then you're coming back through San Francisco and you're going to be there when Najee Harris is lands, <laughs> and he's taking off his big overcoat from being in, in, you know, freezing Ann Arbor. And, uh, I think that, that kind of urgency is probably something that would not hurt at USC. You're never going to have the same kind of urgency. You gotta be, if you're at Clemson or Tuscaloosa, even Columbus, uh, you're going to have more urgency. You really are. I mean, If you want to stay there, you're going to have more urgency. And uh, I think that a a little dose of that would would be really good uh, for USC. All
1: right, got one last one. Our buddy Dan, USC class of 1962. Thank you for always being straightforward and answering the tough questions about USC in relation to the Pac-12 and the Larry Scott debacle. I agree that it would be great for USC and at least one other school from the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten West. As for the spring sports and other non-revenue sports, USC right now is in a special conference for those sports because not all Pac-12 schools play all sports for men and women. In fact, USC always has swimming meets against Wisconsin, and they go to a Texas A&M and Arkansas for indoor track and field meets. In the non-revenue sports, it's all about the national championship, so the conference is not as critical. Look at what BYU and Notre Dame have done as independents to keep these programs on top. With the current playoff system for college football, we can't be in a minor conference, period. Fight on. As a 55-year alum, I certainly cherish our conference history, but I also remember that USC has been in the Pacific Coast Conference, AAWU five-team conference, and when the PCC dissolved, the Pac-8, Pac-10, and now Pac-12. Changing conferences is not new. What has been consistent is being in the same league with UCLA, California, Stanford, and Washington. Dan, class of 1962.
0: Yeah, Dan. I do think. I mean, if I, w- I would, if I to be exploring it. Here's what I do. I would explore the Notre Dame option first, which is Notre Dame said we're going to go independent in football. We'll give you all the rest of our sports, and they chose not to do it to the Midwest. You know, they're right there in the middle of the Big Ten, obviously, and they've had a lot of relationships over the years. Although for a lot of years, the Big Ten wouldn't play Notre Dame because they were a Catholic school. And Michigan didn't like, you know, when Notre Dame started playing, um, USC would play Notre Dame and help Notre Dame become Notre Dame and help USC become USC. But at the time, Ohio State and Michigan didn't want to play Notre Dame. They didn't like what Notre Dame, uh, represented. And so, uh, uh, I think the Notre Dame option, which is, uh, I think even if USC and one other left the Pac 12, I think it'll be hard for the Pac 12 to turn them away if you said, but we'll give you all the rest of our sports and all our road games and football. So you'll still, as what Notre Dame does with the ACC, the ACC, they get Notre Dame and basketball and all the other sports. So Notre Dame goes to the tournaments and they split the basketball revenue uh, because they play a full conference basketball schedule, which is much more manageable than uh than doing that in football and then Notre Dame you know goes their independent way in football and has their NBC contract and they one of the best things about that Notre Dame gets to set the game time for all their home games imagine that that to me is almost the most attractive thing about going independent or going on your own or whatever is uh um, and I don't know if you could go independent if you have to go, you know, Notre Dame has more control, let's say, um, of of what they do. And when, if you could go independent and do that deal, that would be great. If you went to be part of the Big 12 or the Big 10, uh, if they would divide those conferences east-west, uh, then you don't have that same uh, control of your, uh, of your football schedule. I mean, I really like the option of USC and UCLA. You know, say some relationship with a fox, uh, and take over an entire fox channel and, um, and basically determine when you play all your home games and things like that and, uh, um, and, and offer yourself to one of those other conferences to, um, uh, you know, for your other sports. Although, as you say, like water polo and, um, you know, Lacrosse and, and and those sports you're not playing in the Pac-12. Uh, again, I don't think the Pac-12 would turn them away. But if they did, there are so many teams that play, say, top-level baseball that 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 wouldn't be a problem. And and would it be a big problem if the USC women's basketball team was in the uh, you know the Mountain West or the WAC or whatever? You know, I don't I don't know that that would would change things uh, you know greatly. But I just, it's just something I think they ought to be exploring and exploring thoroughly. And right now, I think that that the word ought to be out that USC is looking. I mean, every time we hear something about the Pac-12, it just enrages you. I mean, it's just, you know, dumb and dumber. And they get, you know, they don't seem to learn from anything. and, And, you know, they're, they're, You know, it's a great deal if you're at the Pac-12 because you can make every mistake in the book and they give you raises and long-term contracts and life is good. And uh, except for the people in the Pac-12. Life isn't so good. You get bad schedules, bad starting times, and very little money compared to everybody else in the country. It's a disaster. And nobody calls them on it. It's amazing. You know, you guys... The average reader on the P understands probably 100 times better than the average president in the Pac-12 what the problems are. That's scary. I mean, there may be the commissioner who didn't realize that playing a 12-game schedule last year uh, for USC with no buy and getting stuck with uh, the third straight year in a row with a Friday night road game following a road game the week before – was a problem. He didn't, he. Honestly, I heard him when he said it. I don't think he realized it. I don't think he had a clue. No. It's just. It's <laughs> like. I, I, I try to think of what would be comparable, and I say, "Here, Larry. Here's something you might understand. Let's say you're running uh, the uh, the Palm Spring the tennis tournament out in Palm Springs, or wherever the hell it is, and and you tell Serena Williams, Serena, we're going to play you in the daytime." under the hot sun every single day when there are no crowds and you won't get big national TV. How do you like that? You think that will be good for you, Serena? And they'd say, gee, Serena's not coming back to my tennis tournament next year. And that's what they do in football in the Pac-12. And it's like, you know, I mean, Larry would understand that if Serena's playing in his tennis tournament, she probably gets to play center court under the lights and doesn't get bad schedules, you know, where you schedule them, you know, you know, or schedule them, you know, under the lights, and then you got it the first match the next day. No, you don't do that. But honest to gosh, I don't think he understood that. And, and, and I think people tried to explain to him, well, that's what they're doing in the SEC, and that's what they're doing in the Big Ten, and that's what they're doing in the Big 12. Why shouldn't USC be doing it? Or why shouldn't the Big – you know, the – Pac-12 be doing it? It just didn't register. It's unbelievable to me that the Pac-12 has existed the way it has, <laughs> paying people more money than any than they get in any other conference, and they have no clue what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, no clue. I mean, zero. Baffling. It's, it's, <laughs> it's beyond... It, 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 you just can't even... You can't make it up. You can't believe that he didn't know that. So now they said, oh, we'll turn it over to the computer company that we have do our schedule. They don't even do their own schedule. They said, oh, we won't let them do that anymore. So sure enough, after telling you they couldn't change the schedule, now they've got a schedule with no teams have, no, have, have uh, 12 straight games and no teams have to play a road game on Friday night after a road game the week before. It was just like that. That's all they had to do was <laughs> program it into their computer. They had never thought about it. They never figured that out, that that wasn't a good thing, to put guys, kids on the road two straight weeks with a short week, the second week, when they've got to travel. They never thought about it. Yeah. I mean, how many times on the P, how many times has that discu- thing been discussed in the last five, six years? 100? 200? 300? <laughs> and they didn't talk about it. It's amazing. It is amazing. I
1: mean, all right, Dan. Well, we'll let yeah. you go. We got we got to go to practice tomorrow. We got to get uh ready. So How about is,
0: that? I know. Yeah.
1: So you probably listen to this on Tuesday. This is uh we're recording this. Uh now it's later evening on uh, <laughs> on on Monday, but Yeah. Um yeah, great stuff. We'll see you out there at practice tomorrow. Looking forward to it.
0: Can't wait. Okay. Should be fun.
1: All right. Okay. That's Dan Weber. Make sure you check out all the stuff on com. Check out the site because we're going to be putting up a ton of content. We'll have five of us out there cranking out all kinds of stuff. So uh, make sure you check it out. We'll have photos, videos, uh, stories, interviews, analysis, everything coming up here on uscfootball.com. So check it out. Spring Ball starts March 6th. So we'll be there. Hope you guys are along for the ride. And it's open. If you want to come down, you can check it out too if you happen to be around USC. So 3.15 p.m. on Tuesday and Thursday this week, then 10 a.m. on Saturday. All right. That's Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting.